Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This week, we are sitting down and we're chatting with Kirstie Ennis. Uh, if you don't know a lot about her, she is absolutely one of the most amazing human beings I've chatted with uh, for the podcast and just in life in general. She'll get into her story and her obstacles and how she has used um, the last few years to really inspire people and motivate and really explore her own mindset, sense of adventure, relationship to the outdoors and challenges and all of that. Um, She lost her leg when her helicopter went down in Afghanistan Um, and she'll get into the whole story here. Uh, but basically at first she had a below the knee amputation and since then she has had an above the knee amputation and, you know, reading a little bit from her website here, um, which is kirstieinnisfoundation.com. You guys should check that out. Uh, it says in the early stages of her recovery, Kirstie relied heavily to get back to being who she really was. Thanks to the outdoors. Kirstie does more now on one leg than she ever dreamed of doing on two. Um, She wants to provide opportunity in the outdoors and ultimately opportunity for the rest of people's lives. The possibilities in the outdoors are endless. It's an idea I obviously connect to, something I completely believe in, something that I really uh, responded to when I read that. And she has done some absolutely incredible things. She completed an 1,000-mile walk across England, Wales, and Scotland, uh, which we didn't even get into in this conversation, so I'll have to have her back on. Um, And currently, she's um, attempting to do the seven summits, and she's summited a few. We'll talk about those. She's gotten so close on Mount Everest. Um, She's just an incredible person. And the things that I really respect when I hear her talk and and when she tells us her adventure stories is her dedication, her hard work, the focus, and those three things, dedication, hard work, and focus, the amount of those three things just to complete probably one of the seven summits is insane to me. And then to really go after the other ones and to do it uh, you know, on a prosthetic leg is just absolutely incredible inspiring she is unbelievable but talking with her she's also just really passionate about what she does and and she's passionate about spreading goodness and being a role model and and being positive and i think that's just something like that i just respect immensely on top of just promoting the message of healing in the outdoors and just being in the outdoors, being in nature, being in peace, it just gives us that time with ourselves to really, really take it in and soak it in. Whatever it is, whatever experience you've had in life, it just gives you that time to really consider it, um, which I think we all need. So uh, let's just get right into it. This was one of my favorite conversations I've had on the show. Kirsty is awesome. So um, be sure to check out the Kirstie Ennis Foundation. Uh, it's kirstieennisfoundation.com. Uh, help her out in whatever way you can. Um, you can also find her on Instagram at 
Kirsty underscore Ennis, just spelled just like it is on this uh, podcast title. Um, and I'll link all that stuff in the show notes. But let's get into it. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 207 with Kirsty Ennis. Today, I'm super excited and uh, honored to sit down and chat with Kirsty Ennis. Um, you're, uh, I mean, on a, I, I went through your website and just read everything that you've been involved with over the last few years and it's absolutely incredible it's super inspiring um right before this i i just watched your uh 2019 espies award um you got the pat tillman award for service and it was incredible like i'm just i'm just super honored to be able to chat with you no, thank you. I appreciate it. And and thanks for the kind word. It's been literally quite the adventure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. What's, uh, I got to ask this before we even get into it. What's more intimidating, Mount Everest or talking in front of thousands of people at the SB Awards? Oh my gosh. See, I'm, I'm going to go with neither. <laughs> so I absolutely loved the ESPN Awards, the SBs. And I loved Everest, um, but you put me in front of a small group of people to talk, you know, 15, 20, that's when I'll choke. <laughs> so. <laughs> Is that just because, like, it just feels, like, more personal then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For, so, for me, if you know, the, if it's intimidating, you can kind of, like, hide, uh, or excuse me, ride that wave of, of just emotion. And, you know, it's there's so much going on that you, you don't have to focus on one thing at a time. Whereas if you have 15 sets of eyes on you, they're they're all looking through your soul at that point. So, yes, definitely the more personal and intimate settings, they're not my thing. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. Well, I definitely like I want to get into all your adventures and and kind of hear all about it. Um, But I think first, like I know you've shared your story, you know, thousands of times at this point, but it's it's so powerful. And I just I really appreciate how you use your story to pay it forward and spread inspiration and motivation to to all sorts of different groups of people it's really cool thank you yeah i mean i think that's one of the things that we have the most power in is our stories and and if we don't sit down and swap them and exchange them and and share those lessons learned then you know they're not it's of what benefit is it so so yeah i've been i really have been inspiring to just share the nitty gritty, you know, the super high highs and even the really low lows um, with everybody that I come across. So, and hopefully someone can find a little bit of hope or a little bit of light in all of it. So, yeah. When, when did it, when did you kind of decide to do that? Because I know people, you know, have these just incredibly motivating stories. Um, but sometimes it's, it takes a lot of guts to like step out and, and share. Yeah. Well, um, so I'll try to make this part a little bit brief, but uh, so I joined the Marine Corps at 17 years old. Um, you know, I was raised by two Marine parents and I really thought that, you know, I was one of the lucky ones. You know, I, I, w- I woke up every single day and I watched my mom and my dad, you know, you know, put on the uniform, put on that superhero cape. And I just knew at a very young age that I wanted to give them a reason to be proud of me. Like I was proud of them. Uh, so I, you know, ran through my high school curriculum, was done with that by 15, did two years of community college by 17. And four months after my 17th birthday, I went to the Marine Corps recruiter's office and told them that I wanted to join. And initially they kind of laughed in my face because I'm this little blonde thing with, you know, maybe a hundred, hundred pounds soaking wet. 
And um, I told him that I wanted to go into aviation. I didn't know anything about aviation, um, but I wanted something. I needed something rather that was going to challenge me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I ended up going home. My mom signed immediately. I was quite the pain in the ass <laughs> to be transparent. And, um, and then I, I lied through my teeth to get my dad to sign, told him that I wouldn't do aviation, uh, that I would do a desk job. And um, after I hit the fleet, I ended up fighting tooth and nail to be able to wear these shiny gold um, air crew wings or aerial door gunner wings on my chest. And, you know, I, the Marine Corps is such a, a special chapter of my story. Um, but I think everything that I learned there, I've honestly been able to apply into so many other aspects of my life. Um, but on my second deployment uh, to Afghanistan, I ended up um, I was six weeks away from coming home and I was involved in a helicopter crash that ended up, um, you know, I ended up with some pretty severe injuries, everything from um, a traumatic brain injury to damage to my arms, my ears, my eyes. Um, I had lost my left leg above the knee, had uh, fractures in my cervical spine and, you know, a laundry list of other things. And like dealing with those injuries, I didn't, in my mind right afterwards, I didn't realize that I, that I was really that hurt. You know, I'd just been common meritoriously promoted to sergeant um, and there was no way that they could send me home. But the moment that they wheeled me into this makeshift hospital in Camp Bastion and I saw my, my leadership standing there and crying, that's when I knew that deployment was over. So June 23rd, 2012 was kind of the defining moment, if you will, for um, this story, <clears throat> for, for my story to be shared. And then again, just like I fought tooth and nail to be able to wear those, um, you know, those air crew wings. I I fought for about two more years to stay in the Marine Corps because that was really, you know, the service to other people is what I thought my purpose was early on. And on May 30th, 2014, I ended up um, receiving a medical retirement from the Marine Corps. And I would be absolutely lying through my teeth if I said anything about my recovery was easy or, you know, that I did it on my own or anything like that. You know, I, again, those darkest moments really grabbed hold. Um, I, I actually attempted suicide. I tried to take my own life because I, I was so lost and so confused. And when I got out of the Marine Corps, um, that's when I decided to actually speak up and use, use the voice that I did have um, to be able to hopefully inspire other people, whether it's, you know, a veteran or a disabled person, you know, a woman in a man's world, whatever it was. Um, so honestly, like, I, I really think the most po powerful element of my story and what gave me the feeling that I had a voice, that I had a story to share was really those, those dark moments, you know, realizing that, you know, I was getting out of the Marine Corps, that I had to find a greater purpose and really had to navigate how I was going to continue living a life of service beyond service. And now that's, yeah, bundled up into one now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, would you say like core value is uh, for you is just the service to other people? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think growing up, like I had always just loved other people. People were always convinced that I would either go in the military or I was going to go into social work. Um, and so for me, you know, I joined the Marine Corps to serve other people. I wanted to be a part of the greater good or doing something that was bigger than myself. But now, uh, even through everything that I've been through, now I can say that I truly live my life um, for other people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it kind of just illustrates the adaptability of of a person like you lost your purpose for a while but ultimately you you drew back on your your core value there of service to others and you know though i'm sure it, lo it looks a lot different now than it did when you were in the marines it's still kind of um you know kind of working towards that same goal 
Yeah, absolutely. When I think, you know, and not to sound super cliche or anything, but I think a lot of these these harder times or even like with, with what we're facing right now in, in our country, you know, some of these times that really force us to sit back, reflect and realign with, with what we have going on personally can oftentimes lead to a much bigger purpose or a much bigger dream. So I don't know if I had any advice to give to anybody right now. Um, and similar to my story, it would just, you know, just stay focused and again, reflect and, and you stay the course because right now we're going to come out of the, of the backside of all of this. And, um, you know, I don't think, a lot of us even realize what we're capable of yet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my, my injuries were definitely like the catapults to everything else. So. Yeah. Have you ever read um, like the obstacle is the way or have you heard of that book? No. So I will write that down. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. I can't, I think it's Ryan Hall holiday or something like that but basically the premise is just a mindset and you know it sounds like something that you'd connect with but it's something i found really useful is basically the idea of like understanding that obstacles are going to arise in life and instead of you know um you know just being completely thrown off your course by the obstacles using those as kind of stepping stones to uh achievement and like you know you know, and being able to reach your, whatever your goal is. Yeah, no, I honestly, I love that. And that's what I think a lot of people have forgotten about life. Like life is going to be upsetting. Things are going to pop up left and right. And these obstacles, like you speak of, and the more you don't want them, the more you're going to get them. So it's like, if you can figure out how to identify them, live with them, overcome them, but Hey, realize that they're still going to be in your, like following you around from time to time, then you know, things will go a lot smoother. So yeah. I love that. Yeah. Were you, were you always kind of like an outdoorsy person or was the outdoors <laughs> kind of like a tool to kind of help you through this process, like this healing process? I will say to an extent I was outdoorsy. So I'm okay. originally from Florida. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, um, so I didn't know anything about mountains or snow or any of the, any of the good stuff, really. Um, <laughs> but you know, I was always I was always fairly athletic. Um, but you know, it was team sports, softball, volleyball, all that good stuff. Um, but after my injuries, or rather, while I was um, going through my recovery, I really held on to the outdoors as um, just a means to give me my confidence back. Um, it started out with snowboarding. Gosh, and December or, or early 2013. And um, I'll never forget this organization coming into my hospital room and saying, Hey, how do you feel about um, doing a winter sport? And at the time I, you know, whatever that means, <laughs> I'm like, sure. Just get me out of the hospital. And um, when I, when I arrived in Breckenridge, Colorado, nobody from uh, the ski resort had asked me if, you know, I had a medical clearance or any of that. And so I just said that I wanted to, to snowboard, even though I was only technically cleared to sit ski, and I fell in love with it um, just because it was this total reminder of my resiliency and my independence. And, you know, it, it really kind of gave me that hope that I could get out of my wheelchair and stay away from the hospital and that, you know, there was going to be a lot more life to live. Um, and eventually snowboarding led me into everything else that I'm doing now. Um, you know, it's led me into mountaineering and ice climbing and heck rock climbing and the whole nine. Um, and so for me, you know, if, if anybody's dealing with anything mentally, physically, or emotionally, you know, my, my first piece of advice is just to get outside, Yeah. you know, learn something new, challenge yourself. Cause it'll give you a lot more than, than, you know, anything that you ever even anticipated. Yeah. Well, and I always find like too, it's especially specifically in the mountains, it just gives you time to like 
think it's quiet all of a sudden, you know, like you're able to actually just go out there, you know, there's no distractions. You're just completely in tune with whatever you're doing, whether it's climbing a mountain or, or snowboarding or something like that. And it just gives you that time to really like think and consider and reflect on, on your life. And it's, it's really important to do, I think. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I think, I mean, I hate to knock our society too much, but you know, all too often we're all sitting behind phones or screens and, you know, we're really overlooking the things that we need that are right in front of us. Um, So for me, just being outside and being in the outdoors, you know, losing service, losing Wi-Fi, like it really does allow you to connect to to everything else, whether it's the outdoors or even the people that you love. So it's really about stripping away the excess, you know? Yeah. Like you're, oh. at that point you're able you're able to I don't know, you're able to really think through some of the maybe some of the downfalls or some of the negative aspects that you might be dealing with. But to me it also allows you to really say, Am I living my life the way that I want to? Is this a life that I'm going to be proud of? Or, you know, am I living, you know, life by the way that other people say I should and, you know, so on and so forth. So yeah. Oh my God. I love like when I met you guys up at Sylvan Lake, I love that. <laughs> no service. All I have to worry about was my mom and my friend and yeah. Yeah. That was the best. Yeah. I should mention, uh, we, I was hiking with my wife and kids and we ran into you and, and I didn't realize like I had followed you on Instagram. I think like I heard your story from, I can't remember where, um, and then I got home and you posted a picture from Sylvan Lake and I was like, Holy crap. Like we ran into her. Do you remember? <laughs> Anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, those moments are, are amazing. And especially like, I mean, from my perspective as a father too, like the days are so busy, like they're nonstop busy, not only with just being a dad, but with everything else. And when you get out into like, when I take my kids out, just like to that state park, it's like, all I have to focus on and think about is them. And that is so important. And it's just this reminder that I, that I need to be doing better in that sense. Not that I'm on board with you. Absolutely. I'm like, and I'm I think like, we all need let's a little bit lose more service. <laughs> like intentionally go lose <laughs> <Yeah>. service, <laughs> lose phone service. Um, yep. So we, you snowboarded and then it evolved into climbing big mountains. Can you kind of like, Tell us about one of the first big uh, mountaineering projects or, or hikes that you went on. Yeah. Well, so, so I guess I should like preface all of this is my entire recovery. I was very stubborn. It was very much so once I, once I realized that, you know, I was really going to be in control of, of how I responded to everything, you know, sure. I can't control what was happening, you know, with these 44 surgeries and these just ridiculous amounts of therapies and stuff. But I was able to really say, well, you know, I, I can, I can control the aftermath of this. Like I have the power to determine how I'm going to live the rest of my life. Um, I was really, I don't know. I, I was just, nothing was ever enough. It was like, okay, well, I want to push these boundaries. I want to push these limits in my recovery. So um, unfortunately my last, um, amputation to my left leg was November of 2016. And because of that, I ended up losing the 2016, 2017 snowboarding season when I was competing in border cross and bank slalom. And it was kind of almost like this, you know, this roller coaster of when I first got her, you know, you go through recovery, then you, you know, hit the, you know, again, hit rock bottom almost. And then you go back up and things seem like they're going great. And then I, you know, roller coaster takes you right back down and, 
when I realized that I was having another amputation, uh, they were essentially taking a couple more inches of my femur. Um, I was, I was just really devastated. And now they were taking away this, you know, snowboarding from me too. The, the one thing that made me want to get out of bed every day. Yeah. Um, so I decided that I was going to, again, I had no vision for the seven summits or anything at this point. Um, I just decided that I was going to go down to uh, Tanzania and climb the highest point in Africa called um, Kilimanjaro. And I was going to do that alongside uh, my buddy, Chris Long, who runs a nonprofit called the Water Boys. So the intent was, I'm going to go down there, you know, scale this 19,000, you know, foot plus mountain and, um, but raise money for clean water for the East Tanzanians. And holy cow, you know, I got down there and again, maybe it's just because I'm stubborn and strong and stupid, but you know, we were up and down, you know, Kilimanjaro on the wrong guy route in four and a half days. And then like, and so for me, that was so empowering and yes, it was brutal, but you know, the suffering the entire way up, you know, to the summit just, it made everything that, you know, again, that much, I don't know, more worthwhile. Um, and it was, there was so much in my mind anyways, while you're, while you're again, suffering through this entire climb, there was so much symbolism for everything that I had gone through up until that point. So there's obviously the spiritual, spiritual side of things going on too. But towards the end of it, we actually ended up um, raising $150,000 for clean water for the East Tanzanians. And that's when I realized that there was something to this, that I could create my climbing for a cause initiative. Um, and from that moment on, I was hooked. Um, you know, I started doing these big international climbs back to back, and it was all just to be able to fundraise for different nonprofits all around the world and for different people on, on each continent that I was going to. Um, so, yeah, again, you know, kind of taking you know, a rough situation and being able to say, you know, what can I pull from this? Um, so yeah, I lost snowboarding, but you know, honestly it led me to, to so much more, um, all because of one surgery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so when did you decide that you were going to try to take on the seven summits? <laughs> right after Kilimanjaro. <laughs> <laughs> on the way up Kilimanjaro. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. You know, so, cause like I said, I was, I totally went into Achilles blind. It was, it was like, okay, I know what I need to do to train, but you know, technically I'm not even able to wear my prosthetic right now. You know how I'm going to you know, hike and backpack and all of that good stuff. But once I, you know, on the way up and once I did it, I started thinking about just all of the other places that a needed help, but also the other places that I could go and explore, um, to just really be able to be present and enjoy life in that way. And then I just really started thinking about that, that purpose, you know, at, at that point in time, sure. I was already out of the Marine Corps and, you know, I was working on my doctorate and stuff like that, but there, there was just still this void. And so when I was introduced to, you know, the, um, um, the different tribes and everything down in Africa and, found this passion for climbing and realized that I was actually kind of good at it, even on one leg. That's just, I don't know. I was able to really say, okay, what's next? Um, and honestly, since then it, it hasn't stopped. So I did Kili in March of 2017. I went down to Karstans in Indonesia and did that in July of 2017. I mean, I was in Ecuador, um, February, 2018, Denali, <laughs> July, 2018, and it was we were just hammering them out. Um, so yeah, Aconcagua was on, on Everest last year. So yeah, we just haven't stopped. <laughs> That's awesome. Can I? I whenever I hear about the seven summits, you know, you do you hear about Denali and you hear about Everest, um, but I never hear about the one in Indonesia. Can you kind of like uh, tell me a little bit about that one? I mean, she. Oh, it yeah. just <laughs> seems like one that like most people don't talk about for whatever reason. Well, um, so hands down, it is the most technical and volatile one of all of them. So don't get me wrong. 
I, in my opinion, Denali is, is a bit harder than Everest um, because of just the unpredictability. Everest is brutal because it's, you know, it's a long haul. And of yeah. course, like your actual summit push is exhausting and, and whatnot. But Karstens um, is a 16,000 foot mountain. And honestly, it's, you can do it two different ways. In short, you can do a 73 mile hike in through this jungle, but the whole time you're down there, you're, I mean, it's, again, it's just, very volatile. There's these two tribes down there that are literally in a constant war the entire time. So you're bribing them to let you, like, let you use their bridges and the whole nine. Um, but when you go out there, there's nothing out there. Um, it is extremely difficult to get to. Um, it's fairly difficult to even pull a permit for. Um, but when you get to the base of this, literally just a rock climb, um, it is gnarly. It is burly. And you're not climbing, you know, pretty granite. You're climbing the stuff that is just filleting absolutely everything about you. Like, I mean, you have no gear that's worthwhile. Again, the weather is super temperamental, but it is incredibly technical. I mean, I trained for months. I'm just going to Joshua Tree and and going through, all, obviously, all of the self-arrest and the self-rescue and all of that good stuff. But even just learning how to be able to be patient with the rock, listening to your body. And then um, to be totally honest with you, Tyrolean traverses. If you don't know what that is, take some time to look that up because um, it'll definitely put some hair on your chest and, and make you find Jesus. Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Tell me what that is again. Tyrolean? Tyrolean traverse. Um, so basically there's three of them on Karsten, but essentially what it is is it's in some cases, it's just your your rock climbing rope, and on <laughs> one stretch, there's actually like a steel cable. But I just it looked up a picture. You have to, it looks terrifying. Yeah, you have to <laughs> shimmy across. <laughs> yeah, you have to shimmy across it from one side of a peak to the other side of a peak. It is absolutely horrific. Um, but yeah, so it's like notorious for legit, Like it's it's if it looks like cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone. Like it looks like <laughs> yeah. you're doing a cliffhanger right now. And yeah, oh my god, that looks terrifying. <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah, definitely. I mean, Carson's is quite the experience anyways, um, because it's not something, you know, it's not the, you know, the Everest where you have a luxurious base camp with, you know, cots and Wi-Fi. Um, It is definitely one where you're like eating dog meat with the local people. And then you were hucking yourself onto the side of this mountain with, I mean, again, just technical climbs. Um, Yeah, it was was pretty barely. Dude, that sounds like one of the best ones i'm surprised people don't talk about that more often people honestly um you know they ask me what my favorite mountain's been and don't get me wrong every single one of them has taught me something different and i love and adore each one um but i literally have tattooed on my right wrist or up my up my wrist this is die living and every time somebody asks me about the tattoo i'm like oh because i found jesus on corset <laughs> you know when the ascent was great or the first day of the actual ascent it was sunny i mean i ran up the side of this mountain it was great we put up our high camp the next day we woke up and it was literally a blizzard and it was something that we weren't prepared for um as far as there's just different standards out there the ropes were all frozen but we summited and when we came down like it it was terrible like i, I hit one of my rappel sections and i just started to cry like in that moment i was there were so many emotions. I was so afraid. Um, and like, actually my camera guy and climbing partner looked at me and he was like, this is a section where people die. Like you need to get the F down the mountain right now. And like, he said that all, you know, obviously my tears went away the whole nine and I got down and I was like, that mountain made me feel everything all at once, everything from a, a huge sense of pride and accomplishment. 
um, but also just fear and I don't know. It was it was shock. It was horrific, but it was just so good. I made <laughs> die living to feel the most alive. That's amazing. Well, so. when you get in a situation like that, where does your brain go? How do you handle it? Because I always am fascinated with mountains because it's basically like you get to a certain point and you're like, I have to do this. Like there's no other, there's literally no other option. So what, where does your brain go in that situation? Honestly, I think it always goes back to just that, again, the independence and that resiliency, you know, I've, I've honestly been so been through so much. And I think in those moments like that, that's almost where I revert back to. It's like, I didn't know what I was capable of then. And I don't know what I'm capable of now. Um, you know, and, and I don't want to say this in a super like negative light, but like, the worst, the, the worst has yet to come, you know, like anything, like as long as you keep your head and your heart in the right place, you can overcome anything physically. And so for me, I was internally going through all this stuff. And then when my climbing partner, Ken, you know, looked at me and said that it was like all of that dissipated because yeah. now it's, I don't need to focus on what I'm feeling on the inside. Now it's a matter of being able to look outward and say, I need to get down now. You know, I need my climbing team to get down. We're in like literally terrible circumstances. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think a lot of the time too, like being able to distract yourself and figure out what you, what you value also kind of gives you more of that strength. So in that moment, um, I stopped focusing about on me and I started focusing on them too. So yeah, um, independence and being able to say, Hey, I need, I need to get everybody down safely so that we can like pack up and do this mount or do another mountain another time. So. That's amazing. Are you drawing from lessons from when you're in the Marines in the, like a situation like that? Yeah. I mean, always, honestly, I mean, I think a lot of climate, I don't want to, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to beat my sport up, but you know, mountaineering can be very selfish. Like obviously it's a lot of time away from home. It's a lot of training. It's financially exhausting there's so many different aspects of it where you do have to be very very self-centered um but i think one of the things from the marine corps that i apply all the time in climbing or any of my outdoor activities is is being able to say you know what, what's going to be like the best out, outcome for everybody not just a win-win like what's going to be you know best outcome what do we need to do for everybody to thrive in this situation um, and so in those moments, it's definitely like, okay, well, I need to take care of my climbing partners, not myself. And even when I turned around on Everest, I mean, I was literally 600 feet from the summit, could have thrown a damn rock at it. Um, but my two, my two climbing partners ran out of oxygen and my Sherpa told me that I could continue going up, um, but they have to go down. And I just looked at, you know, Rob and, um, and Chris and I said, no way, like I'm going down with these guys to like they're a part of the story. I'm making sure that they're going home and getting to their families. No. Yeah. Uh, so I bailed on Everest at 600 feet from the summit. Um, just because it was, it was, a, it's a team thing. It's not an individual sport thing anymore. Yeah. Well, what do you like when you hear 600 feet, what do people not understand about the difference between 600 feet down here and the difference between 600 feet yeah. at Everett, like the top of Everest? Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, I mean, especially at that point, I mean, you're not moving fast anymore. I mean, it'll take you another hour, hour and a half to do that 600 feet because you, your body's been eating itself now, you know, for being above altitude for so long. Um, you're literally convincing yourself to put one foot in front of the other and your steps aren't, you know, you know, a normal stride anymore. They're like six inches at a time. Um, you're also, you know, every step you're taking, I'm going up to my waist. Um, 
at post-hauling because my team was the first team up. So we're putting in a booter for everybody else. Um, and it's, I mean, it's just a ton of work. And by that point you are tapped out. Um, and I think one of the things that people forget about mountaineering is you're not given a hundred percent of yourself to get to the top because you still have to get down. Yeah. So no matter what, even if you get up there and you have, you know, 40% left, like that's the bare minimum, you know, when people, people, when people die on the mountains, most of the time it's because they don't have the energy to get back down. Um, and yeah. And so in those moments, it's like, if they're already out of oxygen and we still have to get these guys and myself and my Sherpa down, um, you know, that needs to take precedence. Mountain's not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I was going to ask you like, what, what are, what's like a major lesson you kind of took away from the Everest experience? Man, you know, I, there's a few different ones, but I, I think one of the biggest things was for me was to really be able to sit in, in, in solitude and to be able to sit with yourself when you're uncomfortable um, and be able to tap into, again, those reserves mentally and emotionally. So I, I didn't climb Everest um, the normal way. So normally, the, even the rest of my climbing t- team did it the, the normal way. Um, so basically what you do is you climb high, sleep low. So some of these, you know, most people go through the Kumbu Icefall three times. You know, they'll go from base camp up to camp one, and then they'll go back down to base camp to let their bodies heal. They'll go to base camp up to camp two, back down to base camp to let their bodies heal. Um, and then, you know, go back up again for their summit rotation. Whereas I, I spent a month um, above 20,000 feet, a month at camp one. Um, so for me, like I'm sitting in this valley uh, and there's no one. I mean, we're not, I am in a tent by myself and it was both the eeriest thing ever, but it was also, it was also just so rewarding to be able, again, to be able to sit with yourself and sit with your thoughts. We're talking about losing service. Yeah. Really losing service. You want to lose service? Climb Everest. Go for it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think to, to our point, you know, pretty much the entire, this entire call is just to be able to sit with yourself, sit with what makes you uncomfortable about yourself and be able to really tap into those reserves and say, Hey, I got this. I got this because, because of the six inches between my ears and what's behind my rib cage. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's just incredible. And also just to even think about being on Everest and moving towards your goal, but moving at six inches at a time, like you mentioned with each footstep is, is just something that I just think is like such a wonderful analogy for life because it's like, yeah, you don't just reach your goal. Like you don't wake up one morning and you're like, Hey, I did it without putting in the six inches, you know, every single day or every single step. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's, I don't know. Mountaineering has seriously taught me so much and it's, you know, I think I've always had the, the passion for people, but I also think that, mountaineering the, the biggest gift that it has given me is patience yeah. because like you said it's not going to happen overnight and it's not going to be given to you that's amazing so. that's amazing well i want to ask you really quick about uh just a couple other things if that's all right with you um yeah uh one i just being on your website i see a lot um which by the way do you want to share what your website is really quick and your foundation yeah, for sure. Um, so any anybody that wants to follow along, um, just again to the website, it's KirstieNSFoundation.com um, or on social media, you can find me just KirstieNS or again, the foundation's just the KirstieNS Foundation, real original. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's amazing. Uh, so, you know, I, I kind of see like 
obviously one of your goals is reaching out to uh, kids or young people who um, are amputees. And I, I mean, I got to imagine that is just so rewarding because you get to be this this kind of like superhero or someone they look up to as someone like, hey, she went out and she got it done and she look what she's doing. She's climbing, you know, all these gigantic mountains and speaking to all these people and, and being active in the outdoors. Like, I don't know. I just, I just find that really inspirational. Um, Thank you. Well, I, and I, I think a lot of that stems from, so when I was in the hospital, I, gosh, I was 21, 22, you know, pushing 23, literally as inpatient. Um, and so for me, especially being in the Marine Corps and being hurt the way that I was hurt, I wasn't surrounded by, you know, other other women. You know? um, and so for me, I wanted to be that role model for, for other young people or other women who were going through these very, you know, serious traumatic events and dealing with a lot of loss. And I, I wanted to be, again, that role model that I felt like I was lacking so, you know, so much of. Um, and so I just started reaching out to different organizations and different individuals who I know, you know, maybe facing an amputation because of cancer or, you know, or an illness or something along those lines. And that was probably some of the most rewarding parts of what I do because I don't know, it again, I just felt like I was filling a void that, that, you know, that I had when I was in their shoes. So now, yeah, we have amputee Barbies that we send to all the little girls. We have all sorts of different things for the for the boys. I mean, even this morning, right after I talked to you, I'm FaceTiming a little girl by the name of Scarlett, who she's uh, she's four years old now, but she's missing her her left leg too. And so for me, it's yeah, I don't know. It, it just a it gives me you know reason and motivation to keep pushing forward. But I like to think that you know they see somebody that's you know like them now doing all of these things, and I hope it really just encourages them to take it after their dreams too. Yeah. And I just think I just connect a lot to the idea of like trying to give kids hope, you know, in in situations. I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, what they're going through. And and I just think that's that's really honorable. Well, thank you. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that means a ton to me. I, you know, even even well after all of this crazy mountaineering and all of these adventure <laughs> athletics um, are, are over and done with. You know, I've been finishing up my doctorate in education and, and to me, I don't have kids of my own, but to me, it's like, I look at our youth and I realize like, that's really all that we have. You know, we have, you know, all of these materialistic things and we have technology and all that, but at the end of the day, you know, people, it comes down to those relationships and those communities that we build. So, so for me, even later on down the road, when I might be wheelchair bound or anything else, like I still hope to be able to be involved with, you know, with the kids because of education, education, at least give them a hunger for knowledge. If, if I can't give them a hunger for athletics. So. Heck yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, and then I wanted to ask you really quick, you were uh, a stunt stunt woman in Patriots <laughs> Day, the Mark Wahlberg movie about mm-hmm. the uh, Boston Marathon. Um, what was that experience like? Um, honestly, it was just something that I was doing to fill that adrenaline void. You know, I was yeah. going from this very high speed, low drag job. And, um, you know, I have a handful of buddies in Hollywood now. And every time a, a position comes up where they need somebody to have a, a leg blown off or a car crash or any bit of like, um, you know, weapon scenes or any of that, uh, they pick up the phone and they call me. So, <laughs> so yeah, um, 
yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's no telling. They, they call me with all sorts of different things. But, but yeah, I have a couple parts here and there and, and a bunch of random random things. But Is that, but is was, that weird quite the being experience. like watching a movie and be like, oh, that's me, like way over there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, even like stuff like this podcast or radio interviews, any, you know, video interviews, any of it, like I have such a hard time watching it because it's, <laughs> yeah, it's me. I'm like, oh, God. Oh, I connect to that. <laughs> big time i can't yeah. listen back to the to my to the podcast at all even like if i have to edit a part i'm like oh i sound i don't like the way i sound <laughs> yep that's it totally i'm like why are you making that face why do you sound like that <laughs> that's awesome well and then lastly i just this is a completely selfish uh question from like a colorado standpoint but you know you're you live in colorado and there's just a plethora of adventures out here and it's almost overwhelming at times because you're like whoa there's so much to do there's so many things I want to do um <laughs> do you have a specific like Colorado adventure whether that's you know a mountain or a certain place to snowboard or something like that like is there anything that you would just or even a place where it's just like peaceful to you like is there any place you would you would kind of recommend trying to like seek out yeah, I mean, I'm totally biased because of where I live, um, but I live in the Roaring Fork Valley, um, so right outside of Aspen, the western slope of Colorado, and I am seriously spoiled. You know, people <laughs> ask me all the time how I ended up here, and it's but it's, it's no kidding my mecca. Like, I can walk out my front door, and I'm going to go fly fishing, or then I can, you know, go get on the, the frying pan, and I can paddle that down, or I can go hike Soperus that's right in my backyard, or any, you know, a number of things. I'm, I'm 30 minutes from, you know, five different ski resorts, so... Um, but honestly, if you were to come out to Colorado, um, I would stick to the Western slope and I would, I'm biased again right now, but I would paddle the Colorado river, river, you know, get on a raft, enjoy the Shoshone, you know, the rapids. And then, yeah, if you came in winter again, I'm biased, but you need to snowboard and I would definitely hit up Snowmass or our little locals mountain called sunlight. <laughs> nice. That's amazing. I, I mean, as someone who lives on the front range, I am also, on board with the western slope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I um I don't know, it's just there's something it's pretty powerful being here. Like, I mean, I think even being in any of the mountain ranges that Colorado offers, um you know, you just realize how small you are. And especially when you're in the wilderness out here, say you get up, you know, on um Independence Pass or something, you realize like how small you are, but even, you know, more so how small your problems are. So yeah. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for reaching out. Yeah, definitely. Best of luck. Like, I mean, I always kind of want to ask what the next adventure is, but I don't want to like put pressure on or anything like that. No. Well, so fingers crossed. Um, if hopefully COVID doesn't come knocking on any more doors, oh you know, gosh. during flu season. Um, but God willing, I will be going to Antarctica in December of 2020 to climb Vincent and, um, Again, hopefully, God willing, be the first amputee to snowboard that down. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah. Is that if I reach back out after you accomplish that, would you be willing to do another yeah. podcast? Because that sounds amazing. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thanks again. And uh, thanks for sharing some of your story, too. It was great meeting you guys. Yeah, thanks. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. Huge thanks to Kirsty for coming on the show. Um, like I said, the more I read about her and the more I've seen 
what she has been able to accomplish, the more I'm like, wow, like she's amazing, like mind blown, just incredible. So, uh, Kiersey, thank you again. Like super cool to be able to sit down and chat with you and just, I love it. I love hearing about adventures and the adventure to Oceania, uh, the mountain there, like just sounds, just sounds like something that is so unique and that so few people will experience. And at the end of the day, to me, I'm like, isn't life worth experiencing? Like we have this one, why don't we just go out and and really, really experience as much of it as we possibly can? So um, thank you for inspiring that in me and hopefully in whoever else is listening to the show. So um, yeah, that's it for the week, guys. Uh, I got, I'm busy. I'm a, I'm a busy man right now in the midst of summer. Um, so we are about to head back out into the mountains. Um, take the kids this time. We're going to go exploring. Uh, and honestly, like I've, I think I've mentioned this on shows before with the kids. If you just take kids outside and you let them throw rocks in a lake or a creek, that's like hours of entertainment. And it's the best. And they just play with sticks and like play with dirt and they just have this freedom uh, that the outdoors allows. And so that's what we're going to do this weekend. That's literally our only plans. We're going to eat food and throw stuff into a lake um, and sword fight with sticks. That's that's what I got going on. All right. Hope you guys are having a good summer. Uh, We will get back at you guys next week. We are talking to a man named Adam Schultz. Um, He is a Canadian adventurer. Uh, he laughs about this, but they, some newspaper in Canada called him Canada's Indiana Jones, which I was very excited about as a huge Indiana Jones fan. Um, but he did a, a film recently and he's written a couple books. Please check those out. Cause they're awesome. I'm in the middle of one right now. Um, but he did a film called alone across the Arctic, which me and my six year old watched. Uh, it's an awesome adventure film. So if you have time this week, check it out. I found it on iTunes, but I think you can find it on Amazon. Um, it's about him taking a canoe across the Arctic and basically not seeing another soul for four months and the bugs, the challenges, the uprivers, the, uh, portages, which I call portages, portages, but it's portage. It sounds cooler. Um, but that's carrying a canoe across land. It's awesome. So be back next week. It's super cool conversation. All right. See you guys then.